0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
1: Me.
2: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
0: I want
1: people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
2: Experience the music and her story.
1: Know this. I ain't no spy scale.
2: Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I
1: want to be remembered. For just
2: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
3: When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. Folks, let me tell you something. On a day this week, I woke up. With sheer panic in my stomach and in my heart, I'd had a series of nightmares about the now 15,000 plus people that have been murdered, majority of them children and women in Gaza. I had a nightmare that Donald Trump became president, the last president of the United States that i was ripped apart from my family from my friends from my freedom that lgbtq people were forced into camps and or underground that black people segregation was born anew except more violent People were losing their jobs, their homes, being incarcerated at rates that we have never seen. And the Trump administration, 2025, was like a steamroller. Thankfully, I woke up and it was still 2023. However, folks, this week, Donald Trump, in a pre-taped interview with Sean Hannity, in Iowa, when asked by Sean Hannity, will you weaponize your position if president again? Will you seek retribution on those that were against you? Donald Trump's response was, I'll only be a dictator on day one. To that response was rousing laughter and applause from the audience. Right after that, folks, which happened at the beginning of the week, it happened on Tuesday, I went on NMSNBC that Wednesday morning with Ana Cabrera. And she played the clips, and it was like, The same questions. Well, what do you think about this? Should we take this seriously? Blah, blah. I cannot fucking express enough that we need to take Donald Trump very seriously. Do you think that, oh, Donald Trump will be a dictator on day one and then, you know, he'll go back to following the Constitution, which his lawyers most recently said that he did not swear to protect? the Constitution, to uphold the Constitution? I want to remind folks that everything that came out of Donald Trump's mouth that he said that he would do during his first administration, he did. He tested the fences. Now he knows where all of the weak spots are. He knows where all of the hidden doors are. He knows exactly what to expect, exactly who to install to finish the hit job on our democracy. So when I'm asked, should we take Donald Trump at his word? My response is, yeah, absolutely." fucking And so for everyone who is continuing to signal comfortably in 2023 that they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. Look here, folks. I'm having nightmares about what is happening in Gaza. Just like all of you, I am disgusted, dismayed, feel a sense of hopelessness that this could be happening in broad daylight with our fucking tax dollars and everyone's just okay with it. Then I remember they murdered 6 million Jews and gypsies and all different types of people that Hitler deemed unworthy before the United States would enter into World War II. We have an entire museum now dedicated to lynchings that took place in this country. We don't even know how many enslaved Black Africans were killed, murdered, tortured, beaten, raped. And we're talking about centuries, folks. This country's hands have never been clean; They have always been covered in blood. But the kind of rampage that Donald Trump will do in this country? I want you to remember the image from Lafayette Square, where he had protesters cleared out forcefully. Where in Mattis' book, General Mattis' book, he said, Donald Trump asked him, can't we just shoot them in the leg or something? He said, absolutely fucking not. The next general that Trump would install wouldn't have sworn an oath to the Constitution. They would have sworn an oath to Donald Trump. He wants the ability to turn the military on citizens he deems as dissenters or enemies of the state. Which would be anyone who is not white, who is not straight, who is not male, who is not Christian and who is not maga. So folks need to wake the fuck up. You need to start having conversations, friends, keep having those conversations with your family, your friends, your colleagues, your voting age kids. Because what is at stake is our freedom. Coming up next, my conversation with my friend, Raquel Willis, who is an activist, a trans activist, author, writer, just all around badass. I interview her about her new book, The Risk It Takes to Bloom. That, dear friends, is coming up next. Folks, I am so excited. Uh, Anytime that I get to bring in some badass voices to Woke AF, I am thrilled. And newly minted author uh, Raquel Willis uh, is here with me today. She has authored the memoir, The Risk It Takes to Bloom, which Girl, the title just Bravo um, on life and liberation about her story, um, and it is just—I mean, if you can tell by the plants in the back, the the cover, the the entire breakdown into budding and blooming is right up my alley. But Raquel, let me start out um, by asking this question: You have been in media and journalism for years right? You have sounded the alarm on so much. You have been a person that has been the consciousness in a lot of places. And I want to ask you, why now for your memoir? You know, what was it about this moment, this time? What was the deciding like, yes, it's this is this is the time for me to put out my full story?
1: Well, thank you so much, Danielle. Um, Well, I've been joking that, well, this is when the publisher said it could come out, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of true. But part of it, I mean, and let's be real, some of it is that. Some of it is like it has taken me having a certain amount of access and a certain platform to be kind of co-signed by the powers that be. Mm Mm-hmm that my story can be told on this level and in this format. So that is also important to name. Um, but the the seeds of this really started in college when I was at the University of Georgia back in 2013. I studied journalism. Um, and at that time, like, it was just before Orange is the New Black came out. Yes, it was almost a year before... Janet released, Janet Mock released Redefining Realness. So there weren't a lot of narratives out there about Black trans women, much less people in general. So I knew that I wanted to add something to the trans canon about my experience coming into my identity Um, as a young Black trans person in Georgia in the South, because we also don't really have a lot of Southern narratives about Black trans experiences.
3: I think that that is what is also really important about your story, and I want you to be able to explain more about that, is that there has been, you know, when we have national conversations around the trans community, there is this assumption that, it must be these liberals and these, you know, on, on the coasts, right, that they're, okay. you know, that uh, that trans people, queer people don't exist in other places, let alone the South, let alone Georgia. So I want you just to be able to speak to why it is an also important to be able to lift up geographical and regional narratives of queer stories and not just you know, queer stories in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, growing up in the South in the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, everything in general was kind of situated elsewhere. I mean, thinking about media and the TV shows, Living Single, Martin, et cetera, et cetera. Everything was based somewhere else. It was based in New York. It was based in maybe Chicago, maybe um, San Francisco. So a lot of what I consumed as a young person was somewhere outside of the South. And then I think also coming into my identity as a queer person, the idea was like, oh, well, my freedom for expression lived somewhere else and lived in these queer meccas, New York and South- San Francisco, which is not unlike, I think generations before And I grew up with these stories of Black folks who left the South for a better life elsewhere, whether it was up north or out west, where it was less um, restrictive for Black folks or people on the margins. And so I kind of see that story of migration for liberation as a part of that kind of narrative I built within myself. And so I think there's also an intervention I wanted to make in my career and, of course, with this book around how the South is kind of thrown away in discussions around societal progress. And so there's this idea that the South is a lost cause, interestingly enough, situated in some of the ideas Uh, uh, from the Civil War and the lost cause, right? But this idea that, oh, well, the South will always be regressive because that's where the staunchest discrimination has happened historically and maybe still happens legislatively. But I think that's a lie. I think, especially as you go through the book and I talk about my experiences, both in progressive regions, quote unquote, these places like the Bay Area or New York, these blue coastal areas, as we like to say, Um, but also in so-called progressive movements, right? No, there's still anti-Blackness and trans misogyny in the LGBTQ movement. There's still all of those things in feminism, and there's still trans misogyny and queerophobia in Black liberation movements, right? And so we also don't talk about those things enough as well.
4: 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
3: Do you think that, you know, when adding your memoir coming out at this time, right, which is, and I, you know, I will speak to it from my angle as a Black queer woman, I think that this is probably one of the most troubling and toxic times for queer people that I've seen since I became, you know, an advocate and an activist a decade plus ago. Right? Um, that I hadn't seen book banning. I hadn't seen, you know, this these kinds of regressive policies that we are seeing originate in places like uh, Florida, like Texas, you know, in these southern regions. And I wonder as you are able to live now out loud, what does it mean to like both be able to live out loud and be this model of possibility, but also recognize that young people coming behind you actually may be in a worse situation than you were when you were looking for, you know, looking for your own models that while there may be more for them to see like that, the reach, the distance seems further.
4: Mm.
1: It's a mixed bag for sure. I mean, some of it is, of course, there is a bit of freedom that comes from access, from having a platform, from having success. Um And in that, the visibility that also kind of informs some of those things. And then unfortunately, and I talk about this dynamic as well, you know, passing is still a thing, right? This kind of conditional passing privilege. So in my day-to-day life, outside of, you know, my public life, I have ease, but so much of that comes from embodying a certain type of womanhood. A certain type of femininity. Um, and so we still haven't moved far enough in terms of society around those things, right? There's a re some, and some of this privilege is a lot of this privilege is a lot of the reason why people take notice or listen to what I have to say, right? And that's not even getting into, you know, light skin privilege, right, social economic right, right. privilege, right. educational privilege, and on and on. Um, and so it, it's a mixed bag, right? Because my hope has been throughout my career that the next generations don't have to check off the same boxes that I did. But unfortunately, so much has not shifted to your point, right? There, there is still a lot of walking on water that has to happen, you know, to to get to a space like I'm at where I can share my story on this level. Um, So that's difficult to hold. And it is difficult to think how difficult it is for young, particularly trans folks, to own their truths. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like for me to come into my trans identity um, in college at a flagship institution in the South right now. Where it's one of the benefits back then is not being legible, which is the weird, it's the weird double-edged sword of visibility, right? The not being seen, the not being visible and legible gave me a sense of freedom because there wasn't all of this baggage, Yeah, that was attached to my experience. And I kind of just got to be myself, even if some people might have thought I was weird or whatever, I got to be an individual. And now because of what these conservative politicians are doing, and these ignorant celebrities are doing because they are part of this misinformation mountain that we're up against. um, A lot of trans folks don't get to be anything outside of these tropes and these narratives that they keep pushing. And that's unfortunate.
3: Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, just like, I always try and take a step back and kind of open up the aperture on my eyes, the lens, you know, that I come to things with. And, you know, what I I remember coming into the movement and being like, oh, so there's racism here too. (laughs) Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I thought this was going to be liberal. You know, like I remember going into... You know, you and I have had it's funny, like similar kind of bios where I'm just like, oh, I went to a women's organization and then I was just like, oh, you're racist. Right. Like and and you're homophobic. And, you know, and, it, you know, again, that was like the early 2000s. But you think that there these spaces allow for more expansiveness. And Uh so I just want you to speak to like showing up in spaces where you're just like, oh, you're hearing, this is about everybody's liberation. This is about everybody's rights. And then being met with, yeah, no, right? Yeah. Like it just just speak to that a little bit of of what it's like to be in these varied movement spaces, these varied newsrooms, where you think that like space has been made that you can take up and then you're told, yeah, no, too much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think about the fact that We kind of give ourselves free passes because we're like, oh, we're on the margins in this way. And so we often just don't consider or it takes much more work to consider that, oh, just because I'm oppressed on this axis doesn't mean I'm not oppressive on this other Um, And that's a hard thing. I mean, and we also love a binary, honey, across the board, not even just talking about gender. But the truth is, is that we all kind of live depending on positionality, depending on um, the environment, the space, um, on different parts of this larger grid of oppression and privilege, so to speak. And and I think we all have a hard time grappling with that. So that's a thing. But then I think even in these spaces where, so for instance, nonprofits or in these movements where certain people become leaders for any myriad of reasons, that desire for validation, that desire yep. for power, yep. it's hard for people to check. It's hard for people to check that ego. And so folks often don't realize when they're being harmful to others because they're still in a space where they haven't healed around the validation that they've been seeking. And the title at the nonprofit is not going to fill that void that you have, honey. Come on. Right. The position you may a accrue in community is not going to fill those wounds and that void that you have from whatever reason. I know my, my uh, voids came from, and I talk about in the book, this idea that I felt like I had to create a life despite my queer queerness and transness, right? Like I had to try and make my life as palatable as possible because those were already strikes against me. And that came from wounds from my relationship with, my parents and particularly my father of not living up to his ideals of black masculinity and society's ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, this book gave me a chance to dig deeper into that work. Um, and to also just think about how expectations have plagued me at various points in my life. And I hope that that's something that everyone can latch onto from this book beyond maybe even being Black and trans.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com Me
2: Focus Features presents Back to Black I want
0: people to hear my voice and just forget
1: their troubles
2: Experience the music and her story
1: Know this, I ain't no spy, girl
2: Like never before That's
1: my daughter,
2: that's my Amy <laughs> On the big screen
4: I want to be remembered for
2: just being me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
4: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.
3: I mean, yes, because those are like universal themes of us trying to meet somebody's expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in our lives. And I, I wonder, you know, through putting together, you know, your intricately woven story, what did you learn from your process of going through this like about you and where, you know, how far you've come and like where you are now? Like, what was, what was that? How has that journey been for you?
1: Well, I'll go back to talking about that void and -hmm. that need for validation because that colors every part of your life. Um, And one of the revelations that I had as I was going through the revision process in particular was that I needed to reconsider my relationships, even with my family, right? So I know in the book, you know, we talk about the evolution of my relationship with my mom and my sister and my brother and and extended family. And also I realized like, oh, there's an intimacy gap. And a lot of it, I mean, and I'm talking from my perspective, like for me, it has been that shield of like trying to, um. Again, make my life palatable enough to to just get a baseline feeling of of, of adequacy to my yeah. family's expectations. But I think on different levels, like the cis straight people in my family also did that, right? And so. Our baggage is like sitting side by side, and it's a barrier b- between us, really just like engaging. Like, I want to be able to share my insecurities, my anxieties, my fears, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to have to put on this pristine image for you, at the very least, not my family. So, that is a thing. And I think that that probably resonates with a lot of particularly black folks, brown folks. Um, folks from immigrant experiences, right? Because there's a way that we have to comport ourselves um, to be seen even within our own families and communities. So that's a thing. Um, But I also think about, I guess, in our communities and in our movements, how we continue to carry a lot of these fissures from the past that were never like really acknowledged or when they were, those efforts were squashed. And so I think about, for instance, turfism, right? In yeah. the yeah. feminist speak on, movement. Speak on it. Speak on, you on know, it. The tell, root- tell it. Tell people what to tell
3: people what it, <laughs> you know, because While I may talk about it, tell people what that is so that they understand. I mean, we've talked about Chappelle. We've talked about headline (laughs) moments when that kind of shit comes up. But please.
4: Yeah.
1: I mean, what I think about particularly feminist movements, right? Like we've had some conversations around anti-blackness and how um, feminisms of color were marginalized um, and feminists of color were marginalized. Yep lesbians and queer Mm -hmm. feminists were marginalized within the larger feminist movement. Um, of course, all of the attacks on sex workers and on and on. Um, but also alongside that trans women, the marginalization of us within feminism, its roots go back far. I mean, at at least to the seventies. Right. And I talk about Janice Raymond and some of these high profile, trans exclusionary radical feminists before we really had the term um, mm. and how they planted these fissures. And it was never really addressed then. And so now we see the conservative right taking advantage of those yep. fissures and yep. pulling them farther. Right. That's why the turfs are working with the Christian conservative right. But when I also think about black liberation movements, you know, I talk about the movement for black lives and what the experience was like in this movement that is um, on the same line of course of previous black liberation movements so think about the black panther party i mean i mentioned elaine brown and and the experiences that she had around massage noir in the black panther party yep. right and while there were overt discussions, particularly from someone like Huey P. Newton, around the intertwined destinies of gay and lesbian folks and um, the fight for Black liberation. Um, I still, to this day, don't know any openly queer and trans folks who were within the Black Panther Party, right? right? I may be missing them. And I know, you know, we know a lot more about the experiences, for instance, of like Angela Davis, right? But mm-hmm. I don't know that we've ever even on a public level discussed, well, I never knew that, even though I knew Angela Davis's work. I didn't know that until the last few years, right, that she was queer. And yeah. so how those kind of hidden stories are there. Yeah. Um, and then of course in the lgbtq plus movement right there is a forgotten understanding that some of the initial gay lobbying um for political rights in the 70s was adamantly opposed to the inclusion of trans folks and the inclusion of what they considered to be freaks you know the drag queens and on and on because you know, they weren't palatable enough. Not to mention the sidelining of queer women and lesbians in early gay lobbying and leadership as well. So these exist.
3: You know, I remember in 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 my limited time and experience being told that you need to put, you know, you kind of need to choose which identity you want to fight for liberation for. It's mm-hmm. why we have conversations around intersectionality that has been used and said at nauseam without really understanding the context around that um but the the fact being that you're always asked when you're a person that embodies multiple identities which many of us do live at the intersection of many are told well we need to fight for the most marginalized part of you first so you're either black first queer first trans you know or what have you and you're like that's not how I exist uh-huh. and I have always found that extraordinarily troubling so it's not surprising that in our history of understanding like the panthers and what have you that we have not necessarily unearthed in a mainstream type of way those queer people who were there right but were probably told or maybe felt now we gotta we gotta focus on you know what is seen readily first before we do anything else
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think to that point, you know, I I often think about this quote that we hear a lot from James Baldwin, of course, Um, particularly when he's talking about to be to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of state of rage
4: almost
1: all of the time (laughs) and in one's work and I feel that way, right? As a black trans woman who is to someone relatively conscious, like I don't just carry the personal harms that I've experienced in my life. But as someone who has to connect to ancestors and queer ancestors, often through the work that they left behind, I'm carrying the historic harms as well. I'm carrying the pain of Marsha P. Johnson dying unceremoniously, right? And yeah. potentially being yeah. murdered. But we don't know because it was her death was not regarded um, with the seriousness that it, it deserved. Or thinking about Sylvia Rivera's mm-hmm. uh, railing against these national and, of course, New York statewide nonprofits that ignored trans folks for so long in a time where they could, right? Because we weren't visible. And so there wasn't any real accountability there. But those dynamics still exist today. And I often find it infuriating that people and particularly our institutions are unwilling to engage with those historical harms because we're carrying that,
3: you know, yep. like it, yep. it
1: doesn't just go away. We have to acknowledge it at some point to move forward.
3: Yeah. And I think I, I mean, I think that that's right. I think that the work that you do, not only, you know, authoring this memoir that will be a guide for so, you know, for so many people, um, the work that you do just in elevating media and telling stories right, you know, um, of those stories that go untold um, or have been silenced or cut short, I think is really, really extraordinary. Um, And and folks, I I owe a continued debt of gratitude uh, to Raquel, because if not Mm -hmm. for her, the stories and the conversations that I have here um, on iHeart with Woke AF Daily wouldn't have happened um, without you. And so I just, you know, I I appreciate how dedicated you are to diverse queer voices, to diverse Black queer voices, um, and and making space for them, because I I, I just think it's it's extraordinary, um, and it's deeply appreciated and deeply needed. So thank you, my friend. Congratulations <laughs> uh, on your book, folks. It is called "The Risk It Takes to Bloom." On Life and Liberation, pick it up, buy a copy for yourself, buy a copy for your friends. It is that giving and holiday season time. So give this gift. I appreciate you, my friend.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you.
3: That is it for me today on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
4: Right here, right now, find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.